welcome to episode 31 of the Story Not Forgotten podcast. We are brought to you by Capturing Legacies, because everyone has a story to tell, and it's time to tell yours. Visit CapturingLegacies.com to get started. My name is Liam Rathgaber, partner and anthologist with Capturing Legacies, as well as your host. And joining me today is a actual working professional artist. She is a artist in the traditional sense, creating visual works of art, as well as a musician and a singer. And just, she makes the world a more beautiful place. Miss Karen Sim. Aww. <laughs> I have to live up to that now. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming. Now, Karen, you are operating out of Nanaimo now, which yeah, is a very, very artistic town. It's a <laughs> very, very, art, very arts positive culture. And you, we met in Calgary. Mm -hmm. You're back in town because you have been uh, requested back by name for a, uh, a position at a not insignificant venue. Unfortunately, that gig will have passed by the time this airs. So uh, if you got your tickets, good on you. If you see me tonight, uh, you'll find out about it when you hear this and go, wait, I remember. Aww. Oh, <laughs> well, because we do what we do without any ado, why don't you tell us a story? All right. Uh, the story I decided to run with actually ends with Nanaimo, B.C. Well, it grows into Nanaimo, B.C., but starts uh, here in Alberta. And as all of the dramatic stories do, starts with tragedy. Mm -hmm. I was meeting with a friend of mine, a good friend who I've known since I was five years old. And we went to a lovely little cafe in Canmore. And I've, I loved going out to the mountains, driving out to the mountains. And we spent some time with some good soup and good coffee and questionable conversation. And packed it in from that. And I was headed back into town. And on the way out, I discovered there was a poker run on, which is a collection of uh, fine motorcyclists on various different types of bikes and various personality types when it comes to driving styles. <laughs> and I passed one accident on my way back with a little rice rocket that had gone into a retaining fence. And they, they were taking care of them. There were a bunch of guys there. And but I remember how angry I felt because my dad had a bike. Mm -hmm. My dad used to take me out on his you know, Honda 750. And used to drop me off at school on the back of it. It was the coolest I ever was. <laughs> I'll never be that cool again. There's no chance. But but I was I was so annoyed because I was uh, taking the highway back, taking the highway 1A back into Calgary, and generally reasonable speed limits there, very bendy, beautiful views. But there were people flying past me on their bikes the whole way. For our listeners that are uh, not from the Calgary or the Alberta area, the highway 1A. It is a it is a significantly twisty. It's just a single lane each direction. Drops off on the sides, no guardrails, and very treed in. So most of the corners are blind. I can speak from personal experience. Super fun on a motorcycle, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it is it is a dangerous road. It's uh it's definitely daunting. And there I was driving along, and I'd come around a corner and saw that there'd been an accident. And I at that time was uh, fully certified as uh, a first aid responder, mm -hmm. wilderness first aid responder, because I'd been trained to do a lot of wilderness activities. I asked if they needed assistance, and the, the response, weirdly enough, was the one I'd been hoping not to get, which was, oh, dear God, yes, please, <laughs> which is a little daunting. And I didn't have any equipment in my truck. I didn't have uh, any rescue odds and sods. So the story begins with my having to do 
first aid, which turned out to be not much first aid and mostly just end of life care in a ditch mm -hmm. at a at a corner, uh, at a bendy corner on the highway. And needless to say, I, I, I'd done plenty of moderately traumatic things in my life before that, but that was definitely a game changer in terms of mental outlook. It still, it still makes me shake mm -hmm. years, years and years later because there was nothing I could do. It was pretty much just talk, keep fingers on the pulse, try not to uh, get in arguments with other people who were trying to attend the scene and weren't taking instructions <laughs> and were arguing with the dispatcher on the phone. That was fantastic. But they ended up bringing in stars, um, putting the helicopter down on the road, traffic had been stopped a ways, and a couple other guys who were on the run agreed to uh, go with the rest of this guy's family and drive them into Calgary en masse. Mm -hmm. Solidarity in uh, numbers. It was it was pretty pretty intense, and it was traumatic on my part because I was there when his pulse stopped, and I had to watch them do chest compressions when they did show up. And I remember hearing the engine tool down uh, after the helicopter had been sitting there for about five minutes, and they just shut it down because he was gone. Mm -hmm. Now. This this is a, a dismal story to begin with, <laughs> with, with plenty of uh, extraneous detail, which are not actually keenly important to the main story. But upon getting back in town and calling up a friend of mine who's a paramedic and desperately asking her to evaluate me, I wanted to make sure I'd done everything right. Mm -hmm. That was my one concern. I, I didn't want to wear this. And she reassured me that probably hit that corner at about 100. Turned out later he'd had some sort of medical emergency, apparently, and may have already been unconscious when he went off the roads. So it was uh, it was reassuring a bit, but it was still that. It's still a moment of reckoning. It really is. And it was a moment of a bit of a reality check. I had a job that was wall-punchingly stressful at the time. I was putting my fist quite literally into my desk. I remember the boss coming upstairs and looking at my knuckles and seeing that they were bruised, and he asked me what was wrong, and I'm like, ah, I just punched my desk, and he went, ha yeah, and left. <laughs> I went, oh, that's where I work, is it? <laughs> and I'd been looking for an out. So I looked for this, any contact I could get so I could pay my respects mm -hmm. after this man had died and get what information I could. And through friends of friends, I managed to get that information I did swing by the funeral. I didn't speak to anyone. It was absolutely packed, and I had a bit of a panic attack when I realized I I didn't feel like I belonged there, but off I went. But the person who had given me the information or had gotten me in touch with the right people knew a good friend of hers was looking for people to work at his business. And when she put two and two together, she put me and he together, and I ended up getting this new job and the new job ended up turning everything on its side the beginning of it pretty much required office work so i had the shoes i had the suit jacket like blouses and everything else over the course of eight months i put on about 20 pounds mm -hmm. that was a good time yeah the desk build the desk build yes it's comfortable <laughs> it it sinks into into the chair and i had a drawer full of pretzels which i rated on a regular basis whenever i was in stress. But for the most part, it was one of the least stressful jobs I had at first. The reason why this became important was because I had to give up an awful lot to keep it. 
I used to sing with the opera chorus, and I had to quit. It just, it took an hour and 15 minutes minimum to get to work in the morning and to get back. Mm -hmm. Doing that, plus doing rehearsals, music pretty much just ended for me. I did take time off work to do some other shows. I tried to wedge my artwork, which was already something I'd shoved to the back burner, and shoved it into the corners, shoved it into the cracks mm -hmm. between my work days. Health and fitness, same sort of ordeal. But this wasn't one of those jobs where you clock in and you clock out. There was a real expectation that when you woke up, you're at work. You're checking your mail, you're doing your due diligence, you're doing so while you're in transit, you do your job while you're there, stay late if you can, work through lunch if you're able. Don't generally try and put in for overtime unless you're significantly putting in overtime in the office. Otherwise, it's just expected. Yep. And that was the thing. It was the expectation. And the people were fantastic. And there was a warm environment, very accepting. But you watched the work pile up exponentially, week by week. And you watched the industry convolute and twist and turn back on you and bite you like a snake. So you could pour 20 hours of work into one account and then have it all completely undone in a finger snap the following day. Mm -hmm. And it was something that people became very cynical about and very sarcastic about and very realistic and pragmatic about as well. But I've always had this personality where I pour myself into my work. I put my soul into what I create. I'm a musician. I'm an artist primarily, and I was doing the nine to five that fit the script. Mm -hmm. And if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Precisely. And it was actually rather breathtaking how quickly I burned out. And I'd have never been that cynical in my life. <laughs> I've never, and I'm, I'm a, you, you've known me a while. I've, I'm. You, you've got a bit of a barb to you. I've got a little, <laughs> just a little, I'm the poison in one's tea, <laughs> day by day. And I couldn't believe how bitter I'd become. And with the combination of the accident, which had really made me pay attention and had gotten me into this position, and the realization that I also knew, I think two other people within that time under the age of 35 had died, mm -hmm. who I knew. My, my father and his best friend both died of the same damn cancer at age 56. They weren't the same age, but uh, his friend died later on and within days of the anniversary of my dad's death no less so i'm sure we got to heaven and got some barbs <laughs> we could have made a day of it but no <laughs> i looked online and i watched what people were doing who pe people who i'd grown with people professionally who i'd worked with in the past one was touring europe one was in san francisco and uh a fair few others were working professionally in the field that they were originally trained in. Most of the people I'd come up with in the programs I'd worked with were not. They were in completely different industries. And I stared, and I had a moment where I'd, I'd gotten a check, and I remember I'd gotten a significant paycheck that month, and I looked at the number. And now th this is someone who used to busk for a living. Yeah. <laughs> I, I put on my pretty skirt and tried to impress all the rich people. Yeah, so when, when you're getting money with a comma in it, that's a big deal. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. I looked at the number and I felt nothing. I looked at the number and I didn't give a damn. Because I knew 
that it would patch some things and help some things and sit in my account or go into investments or something, you know, reasonable and logical. But it didn't matter. Because nothing I was doing mattered. And that's when something just snapped. As I stood there, straining at the fabric of my skirt. <laughs> <laughs> staring loathsomely at my bag of light pretzels. And my life had become a long, black, rolling stairway to nowhere. I looked 20 years down the road and I saw nothing I cared about. I looked 50 years down the road. I thought of the old adage, oh, I'll just keep doing doing what I'm doing, doing the stuff I really love either later yeah. or on the side. I can do it on the side. It's fine. It'll be fine. It wasn't fine. It wasn't fine at all. I wasn't doing any of it. I wasn't recording. I wasn't playing. I wasn't singing. And... So those times when you can feel your pulse in your eyes <laughs> and you think I could drop dead right now and people are going to open my ancestry.com page profile and it will show date of birth, where I worked, date of death. I'd be lucky if they list the name of my dog. Oh, Shiloh. Yeah, I miss Shiloh. <laughs> <laughs> and something snapped. I walked into my house one night, and my husband was sitting downstairs on the computer, watching TV and on the computer. He does that all the time. He does it at the same time. I don't know how he focuses. I don't mm. know if he does. It's a guy thing. It is a guy thing. And I sat down next to him, and I went, I'm done. I'm just done. How many people do I know who have been playing the script, and they're dead? They're literally dead now. I watched people die, and they probably achieved more in their lives to get even before that point but I'm looking at what I'm achieving in mine and I see a whole lot of you know six out of ten I could I've made it six out of ten if I clocked out tomorrow that's all I've got and that's not bloody good enough and he kind of looked at me like well, what do you want and I'm like, what the, get the hell out of here I'm gone I'm done I want this life to stop and I want something else to take over and he didn't say anything to that but he leaned over to his computer and he started opening up realtor sites on Vancouver Island. <laughs> and I went, no, 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 don't, we can't afford that crap. Come on. Turns out everywhere you go, there is somewhere you can afford. <laughs> it might be a pit full of spikes and rabid hedgehogs and possibly some kind of virus that is difficult to eradicate that makes your eyes turn green and your skin fall off, but you can afford it and it might be near a Tim's. So that's what you do. <laughs> And we spent this year getting the house ready and getting everything to do. I still had a couple of months that I was hoping to stay and kind of just keep this going in the background while I worked. And my mother came home to my home and she was helping us clean everything, which she does incredibly well. And she looked me in the eyes and I still remember her looking at me and I had tears running down my face, but I was expressionless. I didn't really feel anything anymore. I was just blank. <laughs> There's nothing going on upstairs. It's just elevator music. The sad kind of <laughs> elevator music. You know, like dentist office music. Ooh. Yes. A little Kenny G in there and a small cat yowling. <laughs> and she looked at me and said, I don't recognize you anymore. I want my daughter back. And... I'm sure that just completely stopped the tears right there. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, that's... That's a meaningful emotional exchange. <laughs> I'm going to go watch TV. No, I'm going to go sob existentially into my sink, which I need to replace because we're trying to sell the house. 
And there as we, uh, we, we got it all patched together, but of course the market fell through at that point, so we couldn't move the house quite away. But over that period of time, my dog died. My father-in-law died. Uh, a little after that, actually, just after we did move, my husband's, one of his best friends, was killed in Alberta. And leaving behind a, a wife and kid. And it was exhausting being in that much stress. I actually reached a point where I was yawning continuously throughout the day and couldn't breathe. I, could, I couldn't catch my breath for months. Mm-hmm. But eventually the day came. We came out to the island to look at all the properties there. And their market, which had been stagnant for years, heated up immediately upon our searching. <laughs> there were places I was meant to see that actually went off the market that very day. Well, we found a little place and all the rest and patched ourselves in there, managed to move out, and I realized that person, what i basically done is just cut the cord. So I had friends and professional contacts and a whole world full of people and places and achievements that I was just closing the lid on and starting from scratch, which is probably a lot more exciting in your 20s if you do it. A <laughs> little less so in your 30s. A little scarier. I kind of went, okay, well, now that I've uh, taken a, a brutal barrage to my LinkedIn profile, let's face it, no no one's looking at that resume and going, hmm, be more like, ah, <laughs> what does she have? It sounds painful. <laughs> has, she, has she been back and forth from space? There's time missing here. but <laughs> It's called being an artist. Yeah, pretty much. So I committed myself to being the artist, which, while it sounds like like some beautiful, pristine, fantasy-like Tolkien journey. It's a very romantic concept. It is a romantic concept, and a place is a place, and you don't necessarily have to leave a place in order to find yourself as a person. And you don't have to... And finding yourself as a person does not automatically denote worth or value in what you end up producing. So I ended up moving to a place. I managed to get my first children's book illustration project two weeks later after I'd moved. I hadn't one in, had one in years. I'd done a couple of series before that, but uh, to me it was a sign. Within weeks after that, my husband, who had been enjoying not working, mm-hmm. was employed at a job that was actually paying more than he'd ever made before. And they've been treating him very well ever since. Uh, he just got his first ticket, in fact. So he's now a journeyman which is quite the step up. And I have now completed two children's book projects while I've been out on the island, and I'm now moving in a different direction. But as with all magical tales, this one came with a price tag. Yes, I did cut out a lot of my music, and I lost a lot of contacts, although I have played some gigs and made some new friends and Mm -hmm. made some new opportunities. But shortly after arriving, I found it difficult to walk. There was pain in both of my feet. Now, I'd already ripped the plantar fascia in my right foot back in 2011 and spent about a year with plantar fasciitis that didn't seem to want to go away. Mm -hmm. And I was, first I was on crutches, then I was on a cane for quite some time. Put on that, the other 20 pounds from that. (laughs) I just swelled over the years, really. I was quite active before then. But for some reason, after I'd arrived, things started to hurt. The feet started to hurt. The wrists started to hurt. The first book project became increasingly difficult to complete because I was having difficulty holding my pen. Well, yeah, and wrist problems are are fairly significant for somebody who is spending her time drawing and playing the violin. Pretty much. 
So it was more than a little alarming. Plus, I was hoping to be much more active now that I was out in this, you know, pristine environment. I was surrounded by trees and ocean, which I absolutely love. And every time I went to the ocean, I would look at it and be like, you know, I am one droplet in this gigantic, rippling, <laughs> shiny mess. And something about that is immensely comforting and cultivates great patience, which I have never known. Nor has, would anyone ever ascribe to me. <laughs> I think someone told me at one point that uh, I, was, uh, I was the most patient person on Earth because I hadn't gone completely insane with how quickly the world actually was moving. That With everything else being so slow and ponderous, the way I wished the world to be not being anywhere near that slow and ponderous, she, she was simply amazed that I hadn't spontaneously combusted, which is fair. Hmm. Which is fair. I'll, I'll let it pass. And out there I relaxed. I could breathe. I could walk. At first. Several months in, I couldn't make it more than five minutes without having to sit. And the pain never went away. And I couldn't figure it out. And I went to multiple doctors. And... Which is difficult to do out on the island because it's island time and everyone's relaxed and everyone's casual and no one really wants to invest a great deal of thought, effort, or time into anything in particular. Which is great when you need professionals. <laughs> it took two years. It was November of last year when I finally got to see a physiatrist actually out in Victoria who was able to tell me that no, the plantar fasciitis in my feet hadn't healed. It was presenting as neuropathic pain, which is something you can treat with red wine, I discovered. Well, that's handy. Unless you like your liver, in which case you have to stick with things like gabapentin, which I moved on to. I had tried a number of different medications for different things, pain. I had a massive allergic reaction that caused me to be able to write words in hives on my skin, which was... It was fun. My doctor and I had some fun with it. I... <laughs> I wrote some messages from Satan on my left arm and then sent them to my husband. Like, she is ours now. And he responded with, I can't read that. So I waited for it to clear and then I wrote, sorry, is this better? <laughs> November of last year, as he was walking out the door after this very intense hour-long session asking me about the feet hmm. and such, I went, I don't think you quite understand my neck, my shoulders, my arms are in agony. Everything feels like it's being crushed. I don't know what it is. I can't understand it. And he went, well, it's possible that there is some carpal tunnel. Your thumbs are quite emaciated, so we'll see if that, because that is one of those signposts. So we'll see if we test it. And do that in about eight weeks. But then as he was heading out the door, he stopped. And he turned around and he looked at me and went, all right, impress me. Touch the floor. Like, touch this. And it's just standing, lock your knees. Can you touch your hands to the floor? And of course I could. Palms to the floor. Can you touch your thumbs to your inner inner uh, forearms? So I did that. And he came and he wiggled some stuff around and he went, you're hypermobile. Uh, okay. Is, is that, that a professional is, diagnosis? Like, is, is that a thing? It's a thing. Is it a thing? That doesn't seem like it's a thing. <laughs> I've been like this for a while, forever. And he went, oh yeah, no, it's genetic. But uh, gave me some exercises to work with it. And I didn't really give it a second thought. I did my eight weeks without playing violin. I was kicked out of my orchestra. Well, I was encouraged to take yes. a leave of absence. A sabbatical. <laughs> they kicked me out and I cried. I cried like a child. <laughs> I can't play my violin. Because, <laughs> of course, playing my violin hurt like hell. Mm. Well, pretty much everything at this point did. And the eight weeks passed. I got the nerve conduction test and the wrists were normal. 
But within that last week, the last week before, I'd, I'd met with some cousins, and it turned out we had a lot of overlapping symptoms, very similar issues. So I looked up hypermobility. And when I went back to his office and had the tests done, I looked at him and went, all right, well, I looked up joint hypermobility syndrome. And he went, and what did you think of what you saw? And I went, uh, there was a little questionnaire on it, and I ticked every box. I fit every one of these criteria. I think, except for one. I think that was a little iffy, and I didn't want to give it much play. And he went, yeah, it ticks every box for me, too. And I went, okay, well, what do I do? <laughs> he went, well, you know, find yourself a physio who, you know, really understands the issue. He breezed over an explanation of what it was. And I got back to my house and realized very quickly after speaking with my doctor, who I'd now made it to number three. Uh, first family doctor uh, booted me to a second one. The second one left the country. And then the clinic <laughs> assigned me the third one, who looked and went, yeah, so you've always been hypermobile. What's the problem? It hurts. Well, yeah, the lying on the floor crying in agony part. Could, could, I, could I do something about that? <laughs> something, just a thing, anything would be nice. I can't sleep. Don't take away my sleep. You think it's bad enough taking away my opera chorus work? You see me without sleep? It's like taking away my coffee times ten. Like, people die. <laughs> that's not okay <laughs> and then as as things progressed and i learned more about it a lot of things in life started to fit into uh all the pieces started to fit into the puzzle and suddenly it became this reality that i had left this high tension place here in in calgary i was a fast roller i was moving shaking playing always on the go, always stressed, always tense, I moved out to the island and things very slowly started to just unwind. And then they started to fall apart. <laughs> and all that tension was actually holding me together for quite some time. <laughs> Who knew that stress could be that useful? And why is it important at this point, since I find out, well, it's, it's a zebra thing. Uh, when you hear hoofbeats, usually you think horses, but this is rare that this happens. And it doesn't go away. And it's not really treatable, although you can do things to reduce the symptoms. Uh, for me, it's neck, shoulders, a lot of it's postural. We'd have a tendency to have really bad posture. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's setting into my left hip, so that's a good time. It means if you get a soft tissue injury, it means uh, it doesn't heal, or at least it, it heals slowly and non committally. Yeah. And at the end of all these introspections and reviews I was stuck realizing not only had I cut ties with the former me that was in Calgary I'd really killed her because I couldn't go back to that now I couldn't go back to the job I can't physically type or write or click a mouse for long periods I don't have any kind of pain control that keeps that in check mm -hmm. uh, as for art tools and such everything I have is now wrapped in tape that, that, that winding tape that you put on bike handles in mm -hmm. particular, it's nice and spongy. And it keeps an open hand. Of course, I have all these joints that are too loose that don't sit uh, correctly in their joints where they're supposed to be. And the muscles are always tight, but instead of the muscles stretching, all the connective tissue that connects the muscles to the bones and the muscles to each other and the bones to each other, all of that's doing the stretching instead because there's a problem with my collagen. 
this is the working theory that fits all the facts. I can keep it in check with proper postural exercises and modest physical activity that would probably make the 20-year-old the me weep in sorrow <laughs> that I couldn't be that active anymore. But I've come out of it actually into an amazing headspace because now I'm throwing myself into this new life as an artist, primarily as an artist, also as a musician as well. I'm not giving up the violin. There's no way. My Better mother not. would kill me. <laughs> and I'd love to sing some more. We'll see, we'll see what happens with that. But in order to commit to a course of action as an artist, I've always, I've, I've always hesitated doing so because I was used to being consistently in fear. In fear of failure, fear of poverty, fear of burning bridges, uh, fear of failure. Fear circumscribes everything. And fear is a paralytic. And doubt is a paralytic. And I've learned that to a very intense extent since that accident. Because fear kept me in that job I hated. And taking a risk got me into another job which taught me what I needed to know, which was that I needed to get out. Mm -hmm. Not out of a place, not out of a lifestyle, but I needed to get out of my head. And I was forced to be in my head more than I had ever been before because I couldn't work, I couldn't move. I was stuck with me and nobody else up in the old bone noggin. And I didn't like who I saw. She was judgmental, she was frantic, she was stressed, she was angry, she was frustrated, and she was cynical. And that's who I'd been for so long and never never lived with it, never owned it. Well, I don't get that option anymore. I can't just start something, feel a bit of pain, feel a bit of doubt, and go, that's it. I'm going to apply at Thrifty Foods, and I'm going to bag groceries, and everything will work out eventually later when I have enough. No. No, yeah. I don't have that out now. When the time is perfect, then I will. Because cool. the time's never perfect, and the place is never perfect. And I'm never perfect, and I will never be perfect. <laughs> no matter how hard I try, the harder I try to be perfect, the less so I am. And it was important enough when thinking about of all the stories, of all the adventures I've had, of all the weird and kooky things that I've done, all the mountains I've climbed and oceans I've swam and places I've changed clothes in the back of speeding Subarus and so forth. What was important to me was I had to come to this realization that it's time to be unsafe and I have to become comfortable with taking a risk that doesn't have a safety net. So I am now, I still have some, I still have support. I have a lot of support. I'm very grateful for it, but I've maybe curated in my pessimism for a real sense of desperate adventure. And it means I have to change into this new person and go in this entirely dedicated direction and I have no option to wimp out <laughs> and and this is the point in this magical little journey or ordinary little journey that you find me now where you've been forced to become the person that you were trying to become in the first place and to think that the whole time I, I just figured I'd, I'd cover all my bases do 27 different things extremely well simultaneously while standing on my head yeah because obviously well, thank you very much for, for sharing the story and kind of it, it is inspiring to say, you know, that people will come up against adversity and a lot of people will just sort of fold to it. And 
other people will will fight it and fight and fight and fight and then it's something that i find yoga teachers are very much much part of when when something that you don't like comes along if it's something that isn't sort of an adverse effect just accept it and, and move through it and it's not a matter of creating a wall to stop it and it's not a matter of uh of embracing it it's just this is a thing let it be a thing move through and you've taken a, a lot of adversity and you I'm pointing at things because that's how radio works. Yes. Uh, for, for our viewing audience, <laughs> what uh, you're looking at now. <laughs> is a pen that, uh, with the wraps in that, is about the size of a microphone. <laughs> but you're finding tools, you're finding ways to move through. Your artwork is amazing. And I, I see it as you, as you post it, and it's only getting better as you go. And hopefully the, the music catches back up. You're playing a gig tonight. I'm playing a gig tonight. Or, or as... As uh, our viewers, people of the future will will know it as two weeks ago. Yeah. Three weeks ago. Yes. Some time ago. I love the music. I've got your, your album that you acknowledge. I've got... <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I've it's currently a... in stores and in, in Nanaimo, actually. I, I, I've been a fan of the artwork. Mm -hmm. Where can people find out more about you? I do have a website, which, of course, speaking with the voice of eternal change, which I think is going to be my new title... Mm -hmm. The original design software is being discontinued, so I have to do a full page re rehaul. But uh, karensim.net, so that's K-A-R-E-N-S-I-M dot net, is my personal webpage. I'm also on Facebook as Urban Goat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Urban Goat, uh, it's too much to go into. That's a long story. <laughs> Make up your own. It's probably, mo that's probably more That's a story fun. for another episode. Another episode. <laughs> for more seven. And... Yeah, I, I, so I do have an online presence. My music is available for sale online as well. If you feel like paying iTunes or Spotify more than I get paid, it is available. <laughs> oh, we're all in this game together. <laughs> uh, same thing, Karen Sim. My album's Pedestrian, and I'm working on some new material, which uh, is actually, I have a couple of scratch tracks on reverbination.com. Mm-hmm which is still kicking along, so someone's making a buck somewhere. <laughs> or just doing it for the love of doing it. Or just loving it. Yeah. Just loving <laughs> Somebody's it. Somebody's making a buck I'm, somewhere. I'm playing some other concerts in Nanaimo uh, for people on the island. Uh, if you're in Calgary, shucks. If you're in Calgary, go out to the island. Yeah. It's a day trip. Well, it's a, a day's trip a day's to get trip. there. But it's a beautiful place to be. Beautiful trees, lots of seals, mm -hmm. great fish and chips. <laughs> And me, and the most Karen. important feature. And yeah, as I'm slowly working in, I, I play the occasional jam session as well. We did the Vancouver Island exhibition last year with uh, with a gypsy jam, jazz band. And yeah, I'm currently working on some new uh, electronic music collaboration with some old friends and new friends. Mm -hmm. And may have another show coming up in a couple of months in Toronto featuring my music. So Excellent. That's still in the works, so... If it falls apart horribly, I won't feel bad for not telling you where and when. Okay. But if it doesn't <laughs> fall apart horribly, tell us where and when. We'll get it out on our social media. We'll make sure to get all of your links into the liner notes. And on that note, thank you again for taking the time to share your story and to share all these links. Definitely check that out. I got the album at the release party because I'm special. But then you sang at my wedding. That too. I'm also on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, someone talked me into that manic stuff. We'll get that link up too. Yeah.
I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. If you have, make sure to head over to iTunes or the Google Play Store, wherever you find your podcasts. Hit that subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode. While you're there, we would absolutely love it if you would leave us a rating or a review. The more of those we get, the higher we'll appear in search results, allowing us to find more guests and bring more stories to more of you. If you would like to be on this show, get a hold of us. I can be reached at liam at capturinglegacies.com, or just go to capturinglegacies.com and contact us through there. We're all over social media, both as Capturing Legacies and as A Story Not Forgotten. We are easy to find. Get a hold of me. We'll get you on the show. In the meantime, remember, everyone's got a story to tell, and it's time to tell yours. We are going to go out on one of Karen's songs. Would you like to introduce it? I'm going to uh, suggest we go out on Bird in the Alley. 